so welcome to the podcast. How are you? Uh, doing well. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you for uh, meeting with us. I know that you are very busy now that uh, you have you have two parishes or two churches under one parish now. Mm. They are keeping you busy. Very, very busy. Yeah, the past two years, has, it's been a whirlwind. I've had to change a lot about my my priesthood just to accommodate all the crowds and accommodate the the the, the two churches. So it's been quite the, the change for me, but it's a welcome change and it's a beautiful beautiful work that I do. That's, That's awesome. Um, well, we, we've heard a lot of good things about you uh, from from friends of ours that are uh, parishioners at, at Mater Misericordia, <coughs> uh, which is, uh, for those who are listening, is uh, the parish here in the Diocese of Phoenix that offers a traditional Latin mass. Um, I think Gustavo was mentioning before we started rolling that you've met uh, in one of our friends' uh, homes uh, for a function. But for those that don't know you, um, can, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, where are you originally from? Uh, when were you ordained? How long you been in Phoenix? All that good stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so originally from uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, there I grew up with uh, six siblings. There's seven of us in the family. And out of the seven, there's four religious vocations in the family. Oh, wow. Wow. So there's two priests and two nuns. And uh, my younger brother is also a priest of the fraternity of St. Peter. And I went to the University of Nebraska in Omaha, where I, I uh, studied biology, so I'm a biologist. And on my way to medical school, but after working for 10 days with the Missionaries of Charity in Tijuana, Mexico, oh, wow. um, that really solidified it. I, I, after that visit, I realized, no, uh, you can be happy. You don't need money to be happy. You can be mm -hmm. happy as a priest. I had already been thinking about the priesthood, so then I looked for the, the seminary uh, with the fraternity of St. Peter, and their seminary is in uh, Denton, Nebraska, just an hour away from my home, so it was nice. I was close to home. And uh, seven years of the seminary after that, after my ordination was in 2013, okay. uh, June 1st, so I just celebrated nine years of the priesthood uh, just last week, a couple days ago. Congratulations. Congrats. Thank yeah. you so much for your vocation oh it's flown by it, it's flown by it's been a joy but it's, it's it's flown by already nine years after my ordination in 2013 i was sent to Colombia. worked in a catholic school right about of bogota Colombia. and uh, after that came back in 2015 and when i came back in 2015 my superiors asked me if i had any preferences of where i'd like to be stationed and i said somewhere warm <laughs> and they gave me exactly what I wanted. So they sent me. Not too warm. I yeah. said warm, not hot. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because uh, they said, okay, well, we're thinking Los Angeles, Houston, or Phoenix. And I said, okay, Los Angeles first, Houston second, uh, Phoenix. And that's where they sent me west of Phoenix. So that I was a trick question, it. Father. Yeah. You should have, you should have, like, Okay, I'm going to pick door number three because they want me to pick door number one. Yeah, kind of thing. No, right. no, I know, no, I know. <laughs> but it's but a dry heat. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and, but I'm happy here. I do love the heat. So I've been here since 2015. I've been here in Phoenix so for seven <clears throat> years now. That's uh, awesome. I've been the pastor of Mater Misericordia since 2017. Uh, and oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it comes with uh, a lot of learning experiences. The priest would be constantly learning. So it's been a joy to be here in Phoenix for seven years. Um, so you okay? So quick, sorry. Uh, 
you you've been in Tijuana and you've been in uh, Bogota. Do you speak any Spanish? I do. I do. I do speak Spanish. I do speak Spanish. So yeah, okay, well, Father and I were having a a a a very deep conversation about tacos, right? Father, you remember that? <laughs> I don't know I don't... if you remember, but we we were uh, we had really good food at this function that we were at uh, at a mutual friend's house, and. And we were enjoying the food so much that we started talking. You talked to, that you had some really good carne asada in Tijuana. And then we got into one of my passion topics, which is carne asada. And you're like, okay, how do you make it? It's like, well, this, this and that. I give you kind of like my my mm-hmm. download on my carne asada. And I'm like, you just have to try it. So the, the invitation is still open, Father, for some carne asada. Hey, Gustavo, <laughs> I might have to take you up on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember that conversation. But if it were mm-hmm. about tacos, it, it, I probably had it. <laughs> yeah, Tijuana is famous for a very particular kind of taco that they have, the street taco that has like guacamole on top. It's like almost like a tostada because it doesn't like quite fall all the way. Uh-huh. Um, how abundant it is. But anyway, um, we always end up talking about food one way or yeah. another in the podcast. Um, it's a it's a it's a taco podcast disguised as a Catholic podcast, Father. That's what it is. <laughs> Well, I need to be invited more to this this podcast. <laughs> there you go. I mean, if we're talking tacos, you know that's that's an expert expertise of mine. So, yeah. yep. if you want to talk tacos, just let me know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, brief history of, of modern misericordia. Um, it seems like I was doing some research in preparation for our conversation that between. 1964 and 2004, there was no traditional Latin mass in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And then um, after Bishop Olmsted was appointed um, Bishop of Phoenix in 2003, Mm -hmm. right after that, um, he invited the priestly fraternity of St. Peter to care for Catholics in the diocese Mm -hmm. who desired the the older form of the mass and the sacraments. This was in 2005, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And, And there's been a a number of um, <clears throat> priests from the um, from SSS, FSSP. Father Kent Fryer was the first official chaplain, mm-hmm. and he was operating out of St. Thomas, the Apostle, which is like a few miles south of where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then Father Joseph Terra, Terra who I, I remember when I first moved to Phoenix in 2012, um, there was something happened that he was, it was in the news. I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I, I that's when I first heard about Mater uh, and knowing about the traditional Latin mass. Um, but then in, that's when the, the current uh, church property on West Monroe Street was uh, purchased, right? Yes, mm-hmm. that was in, in 2010 that we purchased the, the current church that we're in now. One of the churches. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, I mean, I've only seen pictures, but it looks like a like a mission church. It's just like pews on one one side, pews on the other side, kind of like uh, aisle in the in the middle, and that that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it. It does look like a mission church, but it's made out of brick. Uh, okay. So it does have the mission church style, but it's made out of brick. It's just a small church, and that was one of the reasons why we had to look for other options because it only mm-hmm. holds about two hundred. But I do think that the Monte Misericordia is one of the most beautiful. Uh, churches that we have here uh, in the Diocese of Phoenix. Uh, so it's worth a trip just to come and, and, and to see the beauty of it. And that's accredited to uh, Father Tara. He was the one who came mm. in and, 
and built the altar uh, and took care of a lot of the decorating. So he did a fantastic job with the church. Now, this is the location downtown Phoenix, right? Yeah, so this is downtown Phoenix. We're literally a stone throw from the state capitol. So this mm -hmm. is 15th Avenue in Monroe, which is one block sure. south of Van Buren. A lot of people know Van Buren, but they don't know mm -hmm. Monroe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was purchased in 2010, which, you know, it, thanks be to God, we had that location because we, although Father Wall, who is now Bishop Wall, he was right. the pastor at the time at St. Thomas uh, the Apostle. He was very generous to us. Of course, I wasn't here at the time, but he was very generous to us. But you always feel like the guest in somebody <laughs> else's parish. Uh, so it was quite benevolent of uh, the bishop to recognize the need that he had uh, souls here in the Diocese of Phoenix that were drawn to this liturgy. And he allowed it after so many years, uh, being a true pastor, being a true father of souls. Uh, so we started off small there at St. Thomas the Apostle, and then we were able to, to grow and really develop our own community once we purchased this property here in Mater. And uh, like any any parish it's been quite alarming it's been quite fun to see this this growth of the parish and it's still taking on different levels and different mm -hmm. uh, uh, different life within the parish it's so rapidly um, so we have a great deal of gratitude and appreciation for uh, Bishop Olmsted for allowing this and yeah. inviting us in that's yeah, he's he's a good one. Um, it, it it was sad to to see that um, Pope Francis accepted his resignation, but uh, let let's see what the future holds with uh, Bishop Dolan. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so last year um, we were talking about Saint Edward the Confessor um, at the beginning of our conversation. Um, I saw the before and after pictures, mm -hmm. and oh my goodness, whoever did the renovation kudos to to that person because it, it they it doesn't look remotely similar it's it's a very very beautiful altar and i i love the blue with the shield mm -hmm. um that has like almost like a wallpaper uh, mm -hmm. to it can you can you talk a little bit more about that renovation yeah so we took possession of that church in july of 2021 and all of that work we got done by december so I, I don't know how many months that is, maybe six months. Yep. Uh, so we took all the pews out because the pews were mis mismatched. They were about two or three different pews. Uh, Father Murda, I believe at St. Holy Cross, mm -hmm. uh, gave us the pews. He donated pews for us. Uh, but we had to cut them in half and put them together and so we get the size and the length that we wanted, which was uh, parish-wide work. The men of the parish came out in force and took many, many hours, but we got that done. There are three altars at that parish, and all three of them were constructed by the same priest who constructed the altars here at Mater, Father Terra. Okay. Uh, now, Father Terra is, is an older man now. He's probably getting close to 70, but the man was putting in 12-hour work days. Wow. Which, for me, as a young priest, was quite a testament of... Uh, what a hard working priest looks like. Mm -hmm. So Father Tara was responsible for making three altars. And actually his work is quite exquisite. 
Mm -hmm. uh, he is quite the carpenter. So it's made of wood, uh, but it was marmalized, so it looks like marble. And that was done by one of the parishioners as well. And uh, he didn't charge a penny other than the materials to have it done. So it was really a, a, a parish-wide effort to get that church. But that's the way it was in the past, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. People would make bricks in their own ovens at home and bring them to the, to, for the construction of the church. So that's what I really enjoyed about the renovation of St. Edward's is it was a parish-wide uh, effort, and we all came together to get it done to keep the cost down. Uh, it was less than a quarter of a million dollars for all the renovations of that church, which is a fantastic price that we, we got. Mm -hmm. And behind the altar, so we are two parishes, or we are two churches, but one parish. Okay. So behind the main altar is a blue wallpaper, but it has the coat of arms of St. Edward. He was a king. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Westminster Abbey in London, uh, you see his coat of arms everywhere. So I wanted to honor St. Edward. But we have to maintain the name Mater Misericordiae. Canonically, that's what we're established as. So Mater Misericordiae uh, is Latin for Mother of Mercy. And I wanted to honor her as well behind the altar. So there's another emblem on the back wall of the Flor de Lis, an okay. image of Our Lady. Uh, so the white altars uh, in front of that blue background, honoring those two patrons of our community, St. Edward mm -hmm. and Mater Misericordiae, Our Lady, I think it came together very, very nicely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in that yeah. church... That church seats about 400, 450, so it's a, a okay. big step up from Mater. Thanks be to God, the bishop allowed uh, you know, the transfer of the property, and uh, now we can continue to move forward uh, you know, with, with the, the growing size of the parish. Great. That's awesome. Can I have to uh, visit? Because, uh, Gustavo, I don't know if you've been to traditional Latin Mass, but I, I haven't experienced it in Not the, yet. The years that I've been, uh, I'm a cradle Catholic, but I fell away for a little bit during my college years and then came back. Uh, but um, one of the things that we talk a lot about in this this podcast, both Gustavo and I grew up in Mexico and we've been in the States for over a decade, um, if not more. But we grew up with poorly catechized and uh, just knowing Novus Ordo. I didn't know that there was like a different mass mm -hmm. until like mm -hmm. recently. I'm like, wait, what? Um, and um, and one of the things that I think um, helped me have uh, more recently have a more uh, informed, I don't know, understanding uh, would be this documentary. I don't know if you watched it, Father Mass of the Ages. Are you familiar yes, with it? Yeah, I've seen it. I have seen it. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. yeah and that was like the first um exposure to to see like um um footage of like the actual liturgy mm -hmm. um i i've always <laughs> been fascinated for for the latin language chant um the the byzantine catholic right um eastern monasticism all of those things that are they are they seem otherworldly um, mm -hmm. because of how they sound and the language that it that is being used the, all the rites and vestures and icons and all these things and the smells and bells um, 
but only enough growing up in Mexico, we were not exposed to those things. Um, and then we transitioned here to the U.S. and we happened to be lucky enough to fall in a parish that is very reverent uh, within the Novus Ordo masses, St. John of Arc, um, the use of Latin chant and um, things that are very appealing to the soul to be directed to God. Um, but there was something that got moved in me to, to read uh, the Latin mass explain um, to have like a better understanding of what the mass looked like before 1962. So even though the, the, the Novus Ordo mass is valid, um, can, can you, and, and I think if I remember correctly, you grew up in a, in, uh, with a traditional Latin mass. Is that correct? Yeah, so uh, the Fraternity of St. Peter, one of the first churches that they acquired, because um, we can only go into a, a diocese when the bishop invites us. Okay. Uh, yeah. And back then, it, it was quite difficult to get permission for the Latin Mass and mm. to get a bishop that would accept us. Uh, but there in, in Omaha was... Uh, Eldon Curtis, Bishop Eldon Curtis, invited us in when I was 12 years old. So that was uh, 26 years ago that he invited us in. Omaha was one of the first apostolates that we had. Okay. Uh, so I was 12. I've had this Mass since I was 12. And I, I, I think it's a major reason why so many vocations have come from my family. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. exposure, the beauty, the, the Latin Mass is a jewel of the Roman Rite, of the Latin Rite, that everyone should have access to, everybody should be exposed to. Why? Because it's it's where we came from. It's mm. our history, and it's it's the crown jewel of, uh, of the liturgy, uh, the Latin Mass. So I grew up with Walter, yeah, so I, I grew up with it, and uh, it was a blessing. I think it was a blessing for the family and for me. Um, okay, well... Now that you mentioned um, that it has to be an invitation, because I, I, I was like, okay, where did the the, the priestly fraternity of Saint Peter came from? Mm -hmm. And uh, invariably, you're gonna find out that in 1970, which like that timeline, just it's like very, very. I don't know. I don't want to say that it's a coincidence because it's not coincidences but um the society of Pius the tenth and please correct me if any of this is it doesn't sound right um is founded by our bishop marcel lefebvre um which uh i'm assuming that it was a, a response to to what the new mass at, at that point in time was being um applied to the church universally mm -hmm. uh as a response to say we have to maintain tradition and and and, and keep it uh, keep it going. But there was some controversy in 1988 about a consecration of bishops uh, by our Bishop Lefebvre going against uh, Saint John Paul II. Mm -hmm. It seems like in that same year there was um, uh, like a split from the Society of Saint Pius X, which was uh, the priestly fraternity of Saint Peter in 1988. Is that right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, um, of course, there was a lot of changes. There were a lot of abuses that that was happening in the church, you know, in the 60s and 70s, which led uh, Archbishop Lefebvre to to basically found his own community. 
they were with in Rome. They were in communication with Rome. They were trying to work out a deal with the, then the Cardinal Ratzinger. Uh, mm. But in 88, he decided to consecrate four priests to that of bishop, which, which holds a, a, a automatic excommunication by canon law of the church mm. to consecrate bishops without the Holy Father's approval. There were 13 uh, priests and deacons collectively who left the Society of Pius X when that happened. Okay. And went to St. John Paul II and said, we want to do the Latin Mass exclusively. We have a love for this Mass and we want to continue to offer this Mass. But we don't want to do that within the Society of Pius X. We do not agree with the excommunications. So those 13 members are the founders of the Fraternity of St. Peter. Got it. Uh, okay. They left and went to the Holy Father and said, we don't agree with this, but we want to do the old mass. And we were openly received, it's received with open arms from John Paul II to found our community. So the exact same year when they decided to do the consecrations, which was, uh, imagine these 13 members, they, 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 just, they had a lot of trust in Holy Mother Church and the Holy Ghost that they were going to be taken care of. And it worked out. And we were founded uh under john paul ii so, uh, to work in the church continue to do the latin mass exclusively but under the church so mm. if you come to mater our church in downtown the the we have the crest the crest or the emblem of the fraternity of saint peter and that emblem is a blue background in honor of our lady there are two keys the keys of peter which shows our allegiance to Rome and to the Holy Father. And then there are three teardrops on our mm -hmm. emblem, which is a symbol of the sorrowful beginnings, a genesis that we had, that we came from a very sorrowful time of the church mm -hmm. uh, with the excommunications and this act of schism uh, that happened with Archbishop Lefebvre. So our origins are within the SSPX. Uh, and begin in 1988 when the consecrations uh, happened. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. So I, I know that there was um, a motu proprio from St. John Paul II in that same year, Ecclesia Dei, uh, I cannot pronounce the last word. It's not Pope, the, uh, Ecclesia Dei Pope. Um which is one of the two things that I found on the matter matter uh, website uh, that that are. Can you can you explain a little bit what that document is, uh, talks about? Well, that document uh, it touched on the the communicate the excommunication. Mm. It also touched upon the necessity to stay within Rome. It touched okay. on the SSPX and what had just recently happened. But it did uh, give permission, or John Paul II uh, did talk about, uh, in that document, he taught that the bishops, and that we should still be open to the traditional Latin Mass, we should still be open to those who are attached and attracted and want this liturgy, that it should okay. be applied, but within the church. Uh, mm -hmm. So was very, he was basically setting the groundwork of, 
how the Latin mass should be promoted, how the Latin mass should be uh, should be used going further with that document. Um, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You've been here for seven years. In the time that you've been here, have you seen an increase? I mean, it, it's obvious because you acquired a new building that mm-hmm. now can sit uh, 400 people. But maybe a better question would be, since there is a, 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 um, a demand, so to speak, like people want to attend the traditional Latin Mass, um, is there a a demography? Like, is there younger people, older people, of mm-hmm. Hispanic, Anglo, it's, all it's over the place? It's funny because uh, when I first got here, there were maybe two or 300 people. Okay. Uh, that was it. That would come to the mass on Sunday. Now we're over 1,100 people on Sunday. Wow. <laughs> and the demographics, it's very telling. Uh, we have, I think, 60% of our community is under the age of 18. 60% are under the age wow. of 18. So it's funny. I, I, was, I met with the person and we want to do this type of uh, uh, planned giving uh, for mm-hmm. end of life. And uh, I was joking with the gentleman. I said, you know, I, I don't know if this is going to work in my parish because we don't have a lot of old people. <laughs> and he started laughing. We're going to give it a try regardless. But uh, the demographic is very, very young. Not just young families with babies and children, but I noticed that a lot of the teenagers and the, the college crowd, we have a, a big uh, crowd of, uh, of youngsters as well. The demographic is young, very young. We do have plenty of old people as well, but it's the the nine o'clock mass at St. Edward's on Sunday is quite noisy. There are so (laughs) many children. You have to watch where you step. Uh, So no, there's been a steady increase that began actually well before COVID, uh, but there's been a steady increase, but most especially Mm -hmm. the past two or three years at least here in this diocese. But I, w- I would say even across the nation with the fraternity of St. Peter, we've seen such a, a substantial and exponential growth uh, over the past two or three years. But especially the demographic which keeps coming are the youngsters and the young families, which is great. I can only imagine this parish in 10, 20 years from now what it's going to look like. That is fascinating to think that you have sixty percent of eighteen and under. Mm-hmm. I cannot fathom that. Yeah. <laughs> come to the, <laughs> the nine o'clock mass on Sunday, and you'll see. <laughs> uh, probably gonna have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then, then that means that uh, it's poised for additional growth, right? Mm-hmm. No, it is. So we are currently we're working with. Uh, an architect, two architect companies to give us, uh, we have five acres of land at St. Edwards, um, which, you know, it's actually not that much, but it's enough to build. So we're actually looking into the possibility of actually building a new church. And, and I've got the bishop's blessing already, thanks be to God, to move forward with such a campaign. So the 450 is not going to hold us, especially for the Triduum, those three days before Easter Sunday. Uh where each parish has just one mass, one liturgy for that day. 
So okay. this past Holy Week, imagine, you know, all 1,100 people trying to squeeze into a, a 450-seater church. That, you know, yeah, you're going to have, there. like, the fire marshal called on you. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes I think it'd be a blessing if somebody called the fire marshal. Maybe that'll accelerate, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll, you know, accelerate the building committee uh, or the building campaign. So, uh, yeah, no, the, the idea is, and hopefully within another several months, I'll have a better idea of what's possible, what's feasible uh, with building a new church to accommodate that growth. And like I said, uh, 10, 20 years from now, when all these children are grown uh, and they're starting having babies of their own, it's going to be yeah. quite a sight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that, that gives me hope for the future of the church, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I have four kids, six and under, that are very noisy our 8.30 a.m. mass. That's one of the things that I was talking to my wife. was like, because I have had more of a curiosity to at least go to a low mass, not to a Tridentine high mass um, yet. Um, actually, for those that don't know, can you, can you talk about like the differences yeah. between like a low mass and a, and a high mass? Sure, sure. So the low mass will be, uh, in Spanish, we say la misa rezada, that it's just okay. simply prayed. It's just the priest and the altar service who are making the responses. It's very unusual. You'll find it in some Latin masses where the community actually makes the responses, but it's unusual. Usually it's just the local custom. And here, the custom in Phoenix has always been that only the servers and the priests make the responses. So it's going to be uh, quieter. It's just going to be the, the priest and the server making the responses. That would be a low mass. The high mass, is synonymous with sung mass, will be with the magnificent organ, with the magnificent Gregorian chant. Uh, a lot of the times the faithful will chime in. They just can't help themselves, so they'll make the, the sung responses with the choir. Uh, you know, there's all of these famous artists, Mozart and Palestrina, who developed masses of their own that we actually did a Mozart mass here at Mater. Uh, so the sung mass will be with the incense. The high mass will be with the incense. It'll be with even more, five times as many servers on the altar. It'll be with the beautiful Gregorian chant music would be the sung mass. And then the low mass is just simply the priest and one altar server or two at tops on the altar. And they're the ones who are making all the responses and everything is red uh, rather than being sung. Mm. Oh, okay. Got it. That's good. Um, but Walter, yeah. I, would, I would tell you yeah. that uh, don't be afraid of the sung mass. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas says that we, that we learn through the senses. Mm -hmm. We need to Absolutely. see to learn. We need to hear. We need those bells, uh, you know, we need all of that in order to really soak it in. And if prayer is the raising of the heart and the mind to God, then we need those externals to help us to raise our hearts and our mind to God. So, yeah, you're not going to know what to do. There's going to be a lot of sitting, standing, kneeling, sitting, standing, kneeling, <laughs> yeah. all of that. So, you know, you're going to have to pay attention to the people as well to know when to sit, stand, kneel. But uh, that's the that's where the Latin Mass, uh, the, it's where uh, you get to see it in all of its splendor and really get to soak yeah. in. And I always tell people that when they come to the Latin Mass for the first time, don't bring a book. Don't try to follow along. Just simply mm -hmm. come sit there, 
smell, you know, the incense, listen to the beautiful music and just watch, watch the priest, watch the servers on the altar, because it's quite telling what they're doing. We have this expression in Latin, the uh, lex orandi, lex credendi, that how we, how we worship, how we praise is what we believe. Uh, so it's quite telling just simply sitting there in the pew and watching uh, the first couple of times. Yeah, I I think it was also St. Augustine said that whoever sings uh, prays twice. Father, mm -hmm. um, what you don't know is that I've, I've sometimes I canter Spanish masses at St. John of Arc. So the, the the singing part and the and the chanting is one of the things that have helped me deepen my my relationship with the Lord um, because all the Marian chants and antiphons, man, those are they have a beauty of of its own that are are, are very very appealing mm -hmm. um, to me that lead lead i think lead everybody closer to to what heaven will be like mm -hmm. um but okay well let's just talk about the uh the elephant in the room um there it seems to to be right now that the latin mass it's kind of a sticky subject mm -hmm. um there's, there's been um it seems to be that the claim is that it's uh, somehow um, a cause of division in the church. Um, the the part that I don't understand is that why only the Latin mass and not like the Byzantine rite or the Melkite rite or mm -hmm. any other forms that are like maybe more ancient than the Latin rite, the traditional Latin mass in and of itself. Um, so could you give us your your two cents on on that perspective? Well, yeah, I could see the uh, the apparent contradiction which you're you're alluding to. That means there's what 22, 23 different rites within the church, and those different rites have not been a cause of division <laughs> or, or separation. We we all are offering the same mass; it's the same sacrifice up on the altar, and we all. Are professing the same faith. If if we didn't profess the same faith, then we wouldn't be coming to communion. So it seems like somewhat of a contradiction. How how could this be divisive, when there are multiple different ways of, of worship? It's all it's all mass. Uh, so why why or how is it divisive? Um, first and foremost, you know, for me, you know, to hear that my work, or the way I offer mass is divisive within the church. At first, it was very, very uh, offensive, and I know that you're not saying that here. Mm -hmm. But but coming from you know a priest that's that's been grew grew up with the Latin mass, it's like, no, my parishioners, the, the two of you know my parishioners, uh, they enrich the diocese of Phoenix. You know they are quite active in the pro life movement. They are quite active in the. Uh, the porters of St. Joseph and all these other different groups within the diocese. And a lot of them serve on the boards of different Catholic organizations here within the diocese. So it's, it was quite offensive to hear, you know, such a strong word. Mm -hmm. Now there is an element of truth. I have to be honest. There is an element of truth with the divisiveness. However, I would say you, you have to judge a tree by its fruits and you have to realize who are the ones that are really divisive because there are some groups we talked a little bit earlier about the sspx there are some groups who have really 
kind of divinize or idolize the Latin mass to the extent of papal authority or local jurisdiction of the bishop means nothing mm -hmm. because they've taken the Latin mass and they've actually separated themselves from tradition because there is no line back to Peter, or at least mm -hmm. there is no, no uh, authority or there is no uh, submission to the local bishop. That mm -hmm. is divisive. That is hurting the church. You know, think of St. Paul when he was knocked off his, his horse on the way to, uh, to Tarsus. Um, he was knocked off and then Christ spoke from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, Christ was already ascended into heaven, but he is the church's, the mystical body of Christ. So when the church is suffering, you don't run outside of the church in order to make this, this very special community for yourself. You are to stay in the church and suffer with the church. And so for people to step out of the church when these strange documents come out, like a Morris Letizia, there are some weird stuff in there, or there's this uh, confusion that we get from the Holy Father or the bishops to step out of the church and to create this Catholic community where everything is perfect and you don't have to worry about what's being said or you don't have to worry about scandal. Mm -hmm. That's not Catholic. So there, there is mm -hmm. some truth in, in divisiveness, but uh, not with the fraternity of St. Peter. And I think that's what the local bishop, uh, Bishop Olmsted, has reiterated in his permission of the fraternity of St. Peter and the Holy Father himself. Uh, we asked for an audience. Uh, and we were granted an audience with the Holy Father for some clarification with the most recent document. And uh, he confirmed and ratified, no, you are an important part of the church and you've been granted permission to the Latin Mass. So basically he said business as usual. Mm -hmm. So the Holy okay. Father as well recognizes uh, that no, we're, not all the, we're not all divisive. Yeah. That those mm -hmm. like the fraternity of St. Peter who are working under the authority of the local bishop and under Rome, uh, there's nothing divisive. But we do have to be careful. And this is something that I do warn my parishioners about is that uh, we're part of Holy Mother Church. Our mass is different from others. It's very easy for as somebody who's attached to the traditional Latin mass to look down upon other Catholics. Uh, but that's, you know, the prayer of the Pharisee and the publican. Uh, we can't be, <laughs> yeah. we can't be like the Pharisees, so we have to. It's something which I'm constantly fighting and trying to uphold within my own community. Is we're part of the Catholic Church. We owe our our, our love, our fidelity to the local bishop, to Bishop Olmsted, and to the Holy Father, and uh, we are not to look down on others because we have this magnificent mass. So uh, there's you know there's I guess two reasons why I would say such terminology and language would be used, but you can't take all traditionalists or traditional Latin mass people and put them all in one box. That's, uh, that's right. just wrong. And, and yeah, I think that also statement for anything. Yeah. That, that oh, also sorry. happens everywhere. Right. I mean, because then you go to a Novus Ordo mass and, oh, my church has a organ and yours has guitars. So now those people look down upon the, the other one. And then it just becomes, uh, unproductive, you know, and mm -hmm. it really doesn't lead us to heaven in, in any, 
in any way, shape or form. Um, there's, there's, um, there's something to be said about to each their own, as long as the tradition, the liturgy is being respected, um, to, to a high degree. And that's just what, what I think, you know, I think there's, and, and, and there's temptation because I've done it. I've done it in the podcast, you know, and then I go back and I'm like, oh, I really shouldn't have said that. Or I really shouldn't have told that story, you know, You're but. You're the one that edits the episodes. You can't do that, you know. <laughs> um, transparency is like a, a pinnacle of, of Barbatu's father. But, but that's, that's, that's just the thing, you know, there's what, what, what would God think about that particular course of action of the looking down? You know, how, how about everybody we look up, you know, to, to what we are supposed to be doing at mass, um, not criticizing because I don't like the music or this and that. And, and that's also, I think the, the, the beauty of the church, you know, that they can, that there's that, um, gap to be filled for every type of Catholic, you know, and I do agree that everybody and I'm saying this to myself should experience uh, the Latin mass and, and, and then make that distinction, you know, how is that going to lead you closer to heaven, to, to a better relationship with God, to others? That's, I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, that, uh, you know, that was the night before. I mean, when a teacher, he realizes that the last five minutes of his class are most important. He wants to really drive home the lesson remind the students those last five five minutes of class so our lord he he implies the same principle the night before he dies one of the last prayers in the last supper discourse was unity unity i pray that you might be one i pray you know you peter that you're going to confirm the brethren that you're going to uh, make them strong so our lord you know the night before he died he prayed for unity and uh, that is the holy father's job to make sure and to continue to try to establish unity. So although we have these beautiful ways of worshiping, we have these beautiful different rites, uh, we have to be united. We really do. Uh, so it's very, very important for us to uh, not judge others, mm -hmm. even you know, our own Catholic brothers and sisters uh, know we're all in this together and we all have the same goal. And regardless of the mass, whether the rite or even Norris Order or Latin mass, it's still the mass. Mm -hmm. Christ is still present on the altar. He still sacrifices. Re, the, the sacrifice of Calvary is represented once again on that altar and offered to the Almighty. Uh, so it's mass. They're not devoid of grace. And regardless of the mass, you get out of it what you put into it. So imagine uh, Maximilian Kolbe in the concentration camp in Auschwitz. You know, when he offered Mass, he did it probably within a couple minutes when he just got a little piece of bread and a little piece of grapes uh, to make wine. He probably just said the words of consecration. The Mass was stripped of all of its splendor. But those prisoners attending that Mass probably attended it very, very well. So it's the onus that we have for all of us Catholics that when we come to Mass, regardless of the rite, regardless of the form, ordinary, extraordinary, we are to come to Mass and try to get as much out of it and, and offer worship to God the best possible way. Amen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
Father, would you uh, give our listeners your uh, your blessing? Yeah, sure, most definitely. And, and us, obviously. Oh, most definitely. And I just want to thank the two for having me on, Kate. You, and then, of course, I ask the two of you and all of the listeners as well that you pray for me and that you pray for my, for my uh, parish. And then I'll give a blessing. I ask our Lord's blessings upon all of the two of you and all of the listeners. Benedictio de omnipotentes, patris. Et fili et spiritus sancti descendet super vos et maniet semper. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, hopefully, we can go pay you a visit uh, at the mission or sure. St. Edwards. And uh, we'll put the, the details uh, where people can find uh, uh, both the, the churches, uh, the website, and all that fun stuff. Um, and don't worry, Father, our podcast doesn't have a lot of listeners, so you won't get a, like another 1,100 people at your church anytime soon. You're, you're you might get 10. Yeah, no, that's okay. I want them to come. I want them to come. And, Just take it and, easy and, on me if I don't respond. And to two of those 10 will be Walter and I, so. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we could go for tacos afterwards. You there got you go. it. Invitation is still open, Father. Sounds good. All right, I have to come over. All right, yeah. gentlemen. God bless you. And for everybody else, uh, go to direct.me forward slash Barbatus for more information about where you can listen to the podcast, show notes, sponsors, and all that great stuff that we have for you all. And uh, see you next time. All righty. Okay, God bless you guys. Thank you.